Welcome to the Crux Points podcast, focused on surviving and thriving in a healthcare world where the consumer is in control. My name is Steve Koch, and I am the Senior Director of the Healthcare Initiative at Cast and Hugh. And today I'm joined by Russ Maloney, the Director of Strategy here at Cast and Hugh. Russ, how is everything going today? Everything's splendid, Steve. Thanks. Splendid is a good word, and it you know describes me as well sometimes. Um, and you know today we're going to take a break from our usual format, and it's just going to be you and me, Russ, just you and I talking healthcare. Uh, because as as was probably the case with many of our listeners, we just got back from the annual Shushmit conference in Chicago. It, you know, Shushmit this year was a great gathering of strategy leaders, healthcare marketing leaders, and uh, we got to see some old friends and make some new friends. And we also had the great opportunity to present with our good friends from Ohio Health on journey mapping with rigor. And that session was, Russ, at 9 a.m. on Sunday, the first Sunday of the conference. And so the people that came to see that they were pretty dedicated. But in all, it was a great workshop, wasn't it? Yeah, it was early, but it was really, really great way to kick off a conference. I mean, you know, a lot, most conferences, you start off with a really inspiring keynote, which, of course, we did have. But these pre-conference workshops are an amazing way for people to actually get acquainted and actually do some real work. I think that one of the main criticisms of a lot of conferences is that there's not a lot of application. There's not a lot of hands-on activity. So when we were given the opportunity to run this workshop on journey mapping, I think that um, we really took it and ran with it. And we wanted to do something a little bit different than what other journey mapping workshops might do. You know, obviously, different firms do journey mapping in different ways. We were really focused on uh, show people how those insights can be scalable, especially with healthcare organizations that have many, many different locations. You know, you do journey mapping for patients and family members at one location, how can you then take those insights and apply them to a different geographical environment or um, a different state with you know, different types of demographies, for example? And like you said, we had our friends with Ohio Health that were co-presenting with us, and we were able to present the project that we just finished up with them earlier in the spring. So that was particularly fulfilling. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it's for me, it was so much nicer to get up there. And even though we had two and a half hours and that might seem daunting by making it more workshoppy, if you will, it, it was great. We Everybody got to participate. I think there was a lot of hands-on learning, like you said. Uh, and to me, it was so much better than one of those breakout sessions. While I still love a good breakout session, but where you have 20 minutes and you better get through your slides and hope you still have time for Q&A. So it was a, it was a good time. Right. And yeah, with a breakout session, I mean... Uh, those speakers are trying to, obviously, they're trying to communicate as much knowledge as possible, but it's almost like uh, hearing a, a lecture session at 1.5 times speed, right? Yeah, and, that's and, exactly right. You know, unless you're taking copious notes, it's hard to kind of digest and retain. Um, Hands-on learning, actually, then, um, is the key to uh, having those actually take root and in your memory. Absolutely. Well, and, and, you know, our early time slot did cause us to set our alarm clocks a little earlier than we normally do on a Sunday. But the one benefit was that it really allowed us to just chill out and soak in the rest of the conference. And there was a ton of content, a lot of great insights to take away. And that's what we're going to talk about today, Russ. You and I are going to discuss some of our key takeaways from Shishmid 2016. And so we've both come up with the, with the several, and we're going to share them with our audience and Russ, why don't you start? What's what's something from a session or a keynote or something that 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 was great for you from Shishmed? Well, you know, in 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 our journey mapping, we talk about this aspect of defining moments. What are the most prominent or memorable aspects of the experience that you 
seem to that seem to jump out in your mind immediately when you reflect back on them. And uh, one of them for me was a talk that was given by Novant Health, a large hospital system headquartered there in North Carolina, but they have um, uh, facilities, various facilities up and down the, uh, the 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 mountain range out there. Yeah, the Mid Atlantic, the South, they're everywhere. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. And, um, you know, they were talking through uh, their rebranding efforts, um, which was a multi-year effort, but it wasn't just about the visual brand. It was actually, uh, there were aspects of their talk, and this is why I really loved it. It was all interconnected with breaking down silos. You know, they talked about how they used to have this visual slash marketing group that was responsible for things like the logo and the visual brand, the messaging, the advertising. But then you had this totally other aspect of, the, the system that was around experience and operations, which, of course, is where satisfaction, um, access, uh, uh, aspects of convenience live. Um, it's very operational, but it's also super important to how the experience is delivered, and that kind of falls into the realm of marketing as well, and how through their rebranding and through um, f- more fully articulating who they were and what value they provided to their communities, uh, they were able to bring all those aspects under together uh, together and break down that silo. You know, it, part and parcel with understanding their messaging was um, a renewed focus on what drives the patient and what drives the family member in a healthcare engagement, in a healthcare experience. And I was really pleased to to hear when they when they revealed their big insight, which was around emotional states. They had a slide up um, where they were talking about their consumer insight, and this is, uh, I'll quote it here from, from the deck. Consumers feel emotionally vulnerable. You must address their physical and emotional needs. Actions that communicate intimacy and familiarity work hard to disarm. They want to be seen as a person, not a patient. Quality care is table stakes in today's healthcare landscape. Oh, it's so right. Yeah, that last sentence really is, 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 is a second aspect to that insight, which is, you know, healthcare systems want to be known for quality. Well, everybody should be known for quality. This is healthcare. That's what that's what people expect. And and it might almost seem like this. All this other stuff around emotion, it might be kind of like a dumb moment. But I think that what made this a uh, uh, defining characteristic of the conference for me and for the packed room, this was a standing room only breakout, right? Um, uh, and for everyone in that packed room were the TV spots that really brought that insight to life. Um, now, I, I'm going to admit that even I uh, was kind of like tearing up at a couple of these spots. Because You're an emotional guy, Russ. Well, I am an emotional guy. <laughs> but <laughs> even so, I mean, you know it's special when after the first spot, they showed the first spot, it's a minute spot, about um, it, it shows a woman boxing in a boxing ring. But there's no there's no one in there that she's boxing with, and well, don't give the whole thing away. We'll link to it on the okay. Yeah, we will link to yeah, it. Yeah, we'll link to it on the show notes. Yes, uh, there are three spots. They're quite amazing. They pack an emotional punch. Right. That, that's a good See? pun. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> and after that first spot ran, it, there was just this spontaneous eruption of applause. I mean, that's how it was, and and I'm sure that I mean. For, for us marketers and strategists in the room to see something like that and just spontaneously erupt in applause and have an emotional reaction like tearing up and crying, imagine what it was like for the non-healthcare strategists and marketers in the communities that Novant Health was serving when, when, they, when, when they saw that message um, and identified with it on a completely visceral level because 
That's what emotions are. They're, they, they exist down there at the visceral level. So kudos to Novant Health. I'm sure that they got a lot of handshakes and a lot of shout outs. But uh, on this podcast, to start it off, I wanted to mention that for me um, was to see a healthcare system understand the importance of emotions and uh, elevate that to the top of the messaging platform. And not only that, but executing it in such a way that um, uh, uh, drew an incredible response. Yeah, that's really cool. And not to not to be forgotten about that too. Um, I didn't get to attend that session, but hearing from you and, and, and reviewing the slides is the importance of connecting operations to marketing, especially when you're starting a new brand campaign. And, and we're seeing that a lot, This some of the challenges associated with that because there's a lot of pressure for marketers to create new brand campaigns as hospitals and health systems become much more consumer focused. Uh, but if you promise something that the operations can't deliver, like in the experience, uh, then that brand campaign could be wasted. And we, we have talked to a lot of people who are running into those challenges where are we delivering on that brand? And if we're not, how much uh, trouble, how much damage are we doing? Um, so it's good to see that Novant really had that under consideration as they built this campaign and took their time but did it right. Absolutely. And you got the sense that that was an incredibly deliberate thing that they were paying attention to as they went through that process because, again, that is the issue when um, departments are siloed. They chase their own goals and they might chase those goals and, and achieve them quite well. But when you're not talking to your neighbor department or your neighbor unit about what they're doing, then not only sometimes are, are you actually going about the, goal, the, uh, the same objective from different angles and thus in slightly different ways, but you might be generating mixed messages um, to the people that you serve. And you know that term, people that you serve, is necessarily broad. It, it means the patients and families and the other folks out in your community. It also means your employees. It means your stakeholders. It means your board of directors. Um, it means your department heads. And so uh, uh, that that collaboration, multidisciplinary, you know, dismantling of the the old internal structures um, is important. Yeah, great. Sounds like it was a great session. Well, Russ, I'm going to bring up my first topic, which if I remember correctly, came up at the Monday morning keynote. A little bit of shishmid ran together for me, but I believe this was the Monday morning keynote by Ronnie Zeiger, who's a former Googler and CEO of an organization called Smart Patients. And, you know, it was a, he's a solid, uh, a solid speaker, as you might expect, um, done a lot of keynotes, done some TED Talks and things like that. So I had some high expectations coming in and, and he delivered on it. And a, as most keynotes, he had some core messages that he wanted to deliver on. And I think for him, he had a few, but one that I really took away was that focus on collaboration. Now, of course, we talk about collaboration on the, all the time, not just on our podcast with our guests, but also it's something we practice in our organization and it's a very, very important value for us. But it's always good to have that driven home because there's, like you said, you mentioned, oh, that might be a, a, a duh moment um, around emotion in, in the Novant Health talk. But there are some duh moments, but there's times that we need to be reminded. And this was a good reminder on collaboration. And, you know, he brought up an example that I'm probably going to steal and use in the future around that, that chess champion. Is it Kasparov? You know chess better than I do, Russ. Yeah, um, Gary Kasparov? That's the guy. That's right, yeah. So Gary Kasparov, exactly. So... In one of his exhibitions, he had a chess match 
not against one person, but they, they set it up so it was a community. And the community decided in a, in a group fashion what move to make throughout the match. And basically, Kasparov still won. But the important thing to take away is that it was, he said it was the toughest match he ever faced and he was very close to losing. And, and it just drove home the point of how collectively we are so much smarter than just one of us. And that idea of just one person in a room coming up with all the solutions is over. It's very 80s in my opinion, maybe even 90s. You know what that reminds me of, Steve, is um, our colleague Sal Bravo. Yes, yes, that's his real name, by the way. Um, was giving a talk at a conference and about this very same thing. And um, he was bringing up, because this is true in mathematics and in probabilities, where, you know, you know that old game um, where you can buy a raffle ticket and make a guess of how many jelly beans are in a jar, right? Yes. Um, it, it, it just so turns out that if you take all of, if you take the average of everyone's guess, the average of everyone's guesses put together is going to be closer to the real number of jelly beans than something like 99 point whatever percent of, of all guesses. It, and, and that's another example yeah. of the collective wisdom. And, and in this case, it's averages and numbers. But I think it's in the, kind of in the same vein of what you're, you're saying here. Oh, absolutely. And, and I think it's important for all of us, especially us, those of us that are strategists and, and marketers and, and other leaders, to think about that and make sure that... that we're collaborating wherever possible and, and not trying to be that person that comes up with all the solutions um, because we are stronger together than, than we are as, as, as just one person. But I thought it was really interesting that, that, that Dr. Zeiger, and he is a practicing physician, he, he applied this to medicine. And, you know, he mentioned that he moonlights occasionally at an urgent care clinic. And he said, you know, for every 10 patients I have, I might, uh, I might refer out one or two of them, and then I might ref- and then I might get a curbside consult, uh, which I was a term I wasn't familiar with, but that's like more of an informal reach out, maybe reach out to a friend of his to get an opinion um, on one more. But basically, for the other eight patients, he's making the decision on his own, and he's not getting any sort of feedback from anybody, and he's just going forward and making a diagnosis and providing treatment, etc. And he said, you know, maybe we need to think about that when it comes to medicine. Uh, how, how, can, how can we collaborate more? And we see this in, in you know, the, the idea of team medicine and, and the idea that, that more and more healthcare organizations are finding ways to not only have groups of, of uh, pr- care providers collaborate, uh, but also making sure that different specialties are collaborating on patients and things of that nature. But, you know, I, I thought it was a good point to bring home and it's something I really thought about. And I think, you know, the, where he ended, he said, am I right every time? Maybe not. And as we move forward, are we going to look back on this era in 20 years or so and just be embarrassed that we weren't more collaborative? Um, and, and I thought that was a really interesting point to drive home. So that's, that was something that, that, you know, Certainly is something to look for in medicine, but for those of us uh, that are working in experience and working in strategy and working in marketing, it's something to take home as well to make sure that we're collaborating as much as possible because the more viewpoints we get, the, the, the better work we're all going to do. You know, um, uh, you know what that also reminds me of, Steve, is that on another podcast, because we're a fan of other podcasts, right? Yes, we are. And this one, not even healthcare related. It's called Reply All. But they were talking about medical these medical mysteries, these instances where um, people have 
conditions and symptoms uh, that you know for years they've been going to different specialists and different doctors and 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 no one can can really get down to um, a suitable diagnosis. There's you know this aspect of collaboration now can be facilitated through technology and in this instance uh, crowdsourcing. It's this website called CrowdMed. On this podcast, they had a couple of uh, uh, patients on and they were talking through their stories. CrowdMed is a place where you can go and you can put up some sort of a financial reward, you know, say like $250, $300, and you upload all of your medical documentation and all the tests that you've taken. I do remember this now. Right, yeah. And you describe your symptoms. And CrowdMed has all these physicians, general surgeons, general practitioners, uh, internists, and they look at all your stuff and they try, they're like detectives. But this is where they're opening up their medical presentation to the crowd. And in these two instances on, on, on this other podcast anyway, their, um, their cases were eventually solved. Whereas for years, going to s- single physicians, single surgeons, it wasn't able to be done that way. Yeah, that's fascinating. That's definitely something else we'll link to in the show notes because I think uh, our audience would love listening to that to that episode of Reply All as well. And it's a, g- a good podcast otherwise. So, Russ, let's let's talk about your next topic. What's your next takeaway from Shishmid? Well, it, you know, there are a lot of common themes, I think, that you would agree um, running throughout Shishmid. Uh, a lot of stuff obviously focused on the experience and satisfaction, a lot focused on collaboration and change management, and a lot of them focused on innovation and how you can uh, organize your um, teams to be more geared towards innovative thinking and innovative execution. Well, Tim Charles, the president and CEO of Mercy Medical in in Iowa, um, was presenting with a local marketing uh, entrepreneur. He has an agency, but he is also the co-founder of a co-working space and, and various other really interesting uh, startup-esque entities there in Iowa. Um, we're talking about what they were doing with um, Mercy Medical on helping f- uh, organize some teams around innovative thinking. Um, and they gave some uh, uh, some interesting tips, which we hear over and over again, you know, in reading the blog articles or listening to podcasts like this one around you know, um, failing fast and various other things. But I think that some of the, the, the most interesting aspects were um, the nuances they lent to those. So for instance, with this failing fast or acceptance of failure, they mentioned that failure actually, y- you can't just necessarily fail and then pivot without acknowledging the failure and pivoting. You can't go about failure in a casual way. You know, failing fast is not a license to just kind of like, change directions lackadaisically, you know, there, there should be a process at that point of failure where you articulate why something failed and what assumption it was that, that, that you feel like it failed and then define the new direction and the reason why so that it's fully communicated to all team members. Um, he also talked about how leadership is critical um, and going beyond just the, the, the standpoint of executive sponsorship, you know, a lot. Of, I think a lot of times within healthcare organizations, um, we all feel like it's a really big win when we've got an executive sponsor. We've got somebody up at the top with the three letters and their 
they're the ones who give the green light and they check in from time to time. But their point here, and it was point number one of theirs, is that that leadership needs to exist within the team, um, meaning that they need to be a participant, um, a, a regular, uh, regularly showing up to the meetings, um, not necessarily just kind of like uh, giving a blessing, granting resources, and keeping people accountable from afar. Uh, that, that that needs to exist within the team itself um, because that grants them the authority and the willingness to take risks. And they also um, mentioned uh, and acknowledged that innovation requires talent. I think that a lot of times um, folks you know, kind of talk about how innovation can be generated or is an emergent property of, of just effective teams. And, and, and in a lot of cases, that, that is the case. But this, is, this kind of goes back to this leadership um, point, where you do need folks in the organization that have a special mix of skills. Um, they need leadership skills. They need vision. Um, but they also need creativity and the ability to actually get things done. Really, really difficult to find in one person this creativity and you know, creativity and type A personality don't necessarily always go hand in hand. It, it, it's really hard to find that in one single person, um, which is why the talent of individual team members can work together to, you know, produce something greater than each individual parts. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and they gave a case study of how uh, uh, they were focusing on caregivers in their community, uh, meaning, you know, obviously the family members of those that are afflicted with Parkinson's or Alzheimer's or some sort of a, a chronic disease or terminal illness, you know, these, these roles are um, encumbered with a great deal of stress, a great deal of anxiety, and a great deal of emotion. Um, and in their communities, there might not necessarily be the support network for them. And so they took a design thinking and an innovation approach to try to set up uh, uh, an app called CareDrop. Um, which was an app where you could basically request things like uh, request a phone call, request somebody that can, can fulfill a task for you, like running to the grocery store. And they talked about how you know they, they built that app with solicitation input from the community, um, and then they ended up having to pivot because it just wasn't necessarily re- achieving the results that, that they wanted. But throughout this case study, they brought out a few interesting aspects of how they operationalized this innovation team. And what I thought was the most intriguing point um, that I that you know you said earlier something that you might want to steal I want to steal this one which is you the people that are involved on these innovation teams they take a four to twelve week innovation sabbatical to work on the project. Wow! Isn't that like always what you hear about you know new projects um, that there's a lot of passion there might even be a little bit of super momentum at the beginning, but then it falls to the back burner pretty quickly because you still got your day-to-day. Exactly. And and operationalizing innovation necessitates you take those people out of their day-to-day environment. You give them an innovation sabbatical that could be anywhere from one to three months long uh, uh, where they're able to focus exclusively on this new idea. Um, And I think that that idea is brilliant. Now, of course, taking people away from the day-to-day jobs, that obviously introduces some other challenges to overcome, but... You know, if innovation is important to the mission of the organization, then it must, you know, find a way to let that innovation take place. Yeah, absolutely. And I think looking for those opportunities or finding ways, if you can't exactly pull somebody out for 
six to 12 weeks, how, how can you carve away time so that you can, uh, you can pull resources to some of these projects, but just do it in a structured way? Because I think too often we might just say, Russ, Drew, you're in charge of this, and then not even consider the fact that Russ and Drew have day jobs, and they're and not to mention a podcast to produce, but at least considering the time and making sure that you do those, those team members the favor of carving out the time for them. Ideal situation, like you said, let's put them in an innovation lab for four to 12 weeks or whatever it might be. But even if you can't do that, there are ways that you can make sure the team members have the time to really dedicate to it. You know, we've talked at our, our organization of having half a day every week be dedicated to internal projects, whether that's generating case studies, editing podcasts, um, working on workshop materials, things of that nature. Russ, sounds like you were hitting the jackpot in terms of really insightful sessions. So well done there, choosing well. Um, I, I had another good one I wanted to talk about, and it, it was a good one in terms of helping me remember how important access is. And in fact, the the title of the session was called Enterprise-Wide Access Strategy. And so I knew what I was going to get going in. But had it was a panel discussion, um, had folks from... Northwell Health, uh, Brigham and Women's Hospital, uh, as well as Catholic Health Initiatives. And so got to see uh, different perspectives on access. And access has been just coming up a lot for us lately, especially as we've been talking to more people about value-based care and, and the as health systems get into some of these risk-based relationships, um, the importance of access rises even higher uh, on people's radars. Uh, because if you don't provide the access to some of these patients and they go elsewhere, um, then you're going to lose the value in your value-based contracts. Uh, not to mention um, there's going to be issues with care and all sorts of negative things. And so um, to succeed in an era of value-based care, I think access is going to be very important. And a, a couple of the things that, that I took away from this session from, from the group was, was, first of all, it's just access can mean so many different things. You know, and I often think about access as how can we be available to patients? Can they call us to make an appointment? Can they get an appointment in a timely manner? And that's certainly a key part of access. But also what kind of facility do you have? If you don't have an urgent care facility or if you don't have a partnership with a retail-based uh, facility, are you running into challenges in terms of losing those patients, especially the younger patients? And then access can be a whole other issue where if a patient can't get in to see you, if you just don't have the capacity, um, then all of a sudden you have no control over that. And even if they do find a way to get a hold of you or go to the right type of facility, if they can't get in there, then you run the risk of losing that patient. So as, as leaders are thinking about access and how important it is in this new era of value-based care, there's just a lot for them to consider. Um, and I think at the end of the day, though, it comes down to some of the things that, that we talk about constantly in terms of understanding the experience of patients and really the quote-unquote customers. Um, because at the end of the day, and this is really driven home, is that they're going to make choices based on their own needs. And so you have to, as a health system, really understand how your different segments 
are making those choices and what their needs are when it comes to healthcare. So are you understanding the individual needs and preferences of your patients and potential patients? And then are you then designing care around the consumer, meeting people where they live, not necessarily building for what's convenient for you and building a campus that's centralized? Um, so much more now. We have to get out into the communities and be able to serve our patients and, and families. And then they talked a lot about um, embracing disruption and really taking the long view. Not everything is going to happen this year, but you have to think about how populations are changing and design for how the millennials, uh, as they get older and they uh, and they become, you know, more and more millennials are are parts of families and things of that nature. How they're going to be accessing healthcare and just how important this is going to be and, and what a top priority it's going to be. Uh, but like almost everything else, I think the biggest takeaway I had from the session, and it was a great session, was that in order to succeed, we have to understand our patients and our communities and our, and our customers and how they're making decisions. Yeah, those are all really great points. And so, you know, access has, uh, you know, physical components to it, but technological as well. Absolutely. And I think that you know, obviously, a lot of that goes to explain the um, the the explosion in different care venues, uh, different channels like retail, telehealth. Um, you know, was that were those things addressed in? Oh yeah, absolutely. I think one one of the gentlemen gentlemen from Northwell Health talked talked about this example where his son um, hurt himself. I think he may have uh, like sprained an arm or something like that, uh, but needed to see an orthopedist. And so his dad said, great, I know a good orthopedist in our healthcare system. Northwell's a huge healthcare system out there in Long Island in New York. Here's his phone number, call him tomorrow. And then the next day he talked to his son and he said, did you call him? He said, oh no, I didn't want to bother calling him. So I just went to a retail-based clinic <laughs> and they were easy to get into. And because that's the habit he wanted. And, and even though, you know, and I think he mentioned he was even out of network. <laughs> but so even though his dad gave him, you know, personal access, He's a millennial. He doesn't want to pick up the phone, and and so it's just that was a that was a great you know firsthand example of how th th this gentleman's having trouble designing access for his own family. So you have to really make sure that you're that you're considering all elements of access, uh, both technology um, as well as physical. Yeah, and you know millennials is a, is obviously a big topic, but um, I think that underserved parts of the community oh, yeah. are are a huge part of access too. And, you know, that extends, you know, I think that a lot of time when we talk about healthcare and healthcare providers and hospital systems, it seems almost always we're talking about those in larger metropolitan areas, right? And of course, there are underserved populations in, in large metro areas. And so that's part of this conversation. But also in rural areas, you have like the outlying uh, uh, communities um, that might not have a hospital within 20 or 30 miles, you know, um, and access then plays a huge part in being present in depressed socioeconomic pockets as well as far-flung geographic pockets. Yeah, absolutely. There's, in general, there's a lot to consider, and I think this helped drive it home, and it's something I'm sure we're going to be thinking about both with our podcast guests and our clients moving forward here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, Russ, topic number three for you. Do you have something else? Yeah, you know, this this wasn't actually um, a, a talk itself. I, I had the pleasure of being a roundtable facilitator at one of the luncheons during one of the days at Shushmet. And first of all, what a great idea, right? Yeah. Where obviously during throughout the three or f the three to four days, everyone's connecting with each other and talking about uh, uh, issues that are 
uh, pertinent to them and their systems. But this was a deliberate topic-focused format for people to choose their own path and sit down with like-minded folks and then you know just kind of have like a facilitated discussion. So I was um, facilitating one of the topics around patient experience, customer experience. There were other tables for physician relations. There were, I believe there were tables for access. There were tables for strategic planning, for marketing, and for digital, for example. Um, and th- the reason why I wanted to bring this up here on the podcast was that um, that I believe some of the conversations that we had at our table um, were not necessarily covered by uh, some of the other talks. Now, granted, any one person can only see, if you're diligent, maybe yeah. about 25% of all the content at this conference. And I, I think you might be reaching there, my friend. Yeah, probably. <laughs> Uh, just because of the concurrent. Uh, so it might be a bit um, hasty for me to say that these weren't covered. But um, I had a couple of folks from healthcare providers at my table. I also had some folks from consulting companies and some that were represented from branding firms. And so we had a, a pretty good discussion around the role that brand plays in, in, in the future of healthcare um, in terms of how hospitals are, per, are uh, positioning themselves for in, in, in the future where it's value-based care. Right now, the brands of hospitals stand for where you go to get fixed. Mm-hmm. In the future, the brands are going to need to stand for those organizations that help keep you well. Yeah. And, you know, that's a huge operational shift. That's a huge cultural shift. For a brand, though, that might be the hardest shift of all because you're not in charge of that. You're in charge of your operations, you're in charge of your culture. You're not in charge of your brand. And I actually, you know, just given the conversation we were having at the table, uh, don't have the sense that brand uh, uh, leaders might be thinking about how to accomplish that particular fact. I mean, think about how, how hard that is going to have to be. Like, oh, yeah. that's a super fundamental uh, aspect of an identity of a healthcare system. Like, when I think of a hospital, it's like, that's where I go if I break my arm not as the place that helps keep me well. I mean, that's more of like what you associate like your mother or, you know, a caregiver. Yeah. Sort of a role. And so that's kind of interesting. Yeah, it's really interesting because it highlights that the challenges we all have as, as strategy and marketing leaders in healthcare because we just got done and many of us are still in the process of evolving our brands to become much more consumer centric. We've just started down this journey of really understanding our patients as customers. That's really only happened in, for most of us in the last four or five years. And now we're getting there and now it's another shift. And we've seen it coming, but the, the shift to value-based care is, is, is taking its time, but it's coming up quick now. And now we have to think about that. And how do we evolve our brand? And you think about the number of mergers that have happened across the country. We've seen several in our market here in, in the Phoenix area, but they're they're all over the country. And so they've introduced new brands. Um, and, and now they're going to have to evolve those brands to be relevant in a world of value-based care. So I guess if anything, the lesson there is that our, our, our friends at the branding organizations and, and some of our branding uh, work projects are probably going to continue and, and <laughs> going to keep us pretty busy as we consider that moving forward and how important the brand is uh, in, in the world of patient experience and customer experience. Right, yeah. And, and I, I also think that we can take some lessons from other industries, as always. Yeah. can always take lessons from other industries that have already done this. Um, 
A great example is, you know, that just comes pops into your mind is um, IBM, right? IBM used to be about hardware. It used to be about the thing that was sitting on your desktop. And now they're about business services and yeah. business solutions and AI, you know, Watson and, you know... Um, I don't so, know that they make any products anymore. Well, that's kind of what I was... Do they? I don't know. We'll have to Google that. We'll include that in the show notes. But I don't <laughs> think so. We'll link in the show notes to Google's... Uh, I'm sorry, to IBM's uh, products page. Yeah, that's probably not existent. <laughs> um, so if I think back to IBM... And so, you know, I, have, I was not a part of the branding, strategic branding decisions at IBM. Um, but I, I wonder if the folks at IBM back in the mid-90s or the early 90s kind of saw... The, the direction that consumer electronics and the PC industry was going. Back then, you still had Compaq and, oh, yeah. and, and Gateway that were still major players, right? Right. Um, and so maybe they saw the writing on the wall back then. Maybe they saw how everything was moving to data. Um, uh, that was a little bit before my time in career. But um, I guess what, what I'm saying is that potentially they could have just made these incremental steps and matched the market as it went along, in which case... Strategic planning is, you know, the, the, the foresight there, the forward-thinking strategic planning is relatively short. And there are advantages to doing that because I guess it's no use trying to hit a target 20 years from now from a brand standpoint. You might really only need to have like a three or four or five-year time horizon. And that allows you to match the market. Um, that allows you to match the market as closely as possible as it moves and consumer sentiment and perception. But... What it doesn't allow you to do is to be a leader in that space and to actually help drive those perceptions. So I think healthcare is different in a variety of ways. We know where we're going in a lot of respects. So I think the opportunity is there to think about how we're going to make this brand transition as we move towards population health. So I don't know. We'll, we'll have to listen a little bit harder. Maybe we'll have some brand uh, experts on our show. Yeah, I think that'd be great. And have a conversation around that very topic. If you're out there, tweet us. Bring you on the podcast. I'm going to close out with the closing keynote, which was Chip Madera. He had a uh, keynote that was titled Leading Others Through Difficult Times. And if you thought from the title that this was going to be some sort of straightforward kind of dry, straightforward talk about you know how to lead through tumultuous times, you were wrong. Because I was not familiar with Chip Madera before this, and I don't know if you were, but no, no, I was not. <laughs> you won't forget Chip if you ever see him. That 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 gentleman is a character, um, and and I I really think I don't know if the title was the, the greatest title I've ever heard because I really thought that that his focus was really on culture. It was really about how we each individually contribute to our culture and the difference we can make, and how important it is to deliver an experience to uh, a great experience to our patients and customers. And I, I'm just going to mention a couple of things, and, and I know you you had a couple thoughts on it, but a couple of things that stand out. And I think, you know, I'll preface this by saying that that, that one thing that, that all can happen to us in conferences is we go there, we're in Chicago or Orlando or San Diego for a handful of days, and we're with like-minded folks, and we're going to all these sessions, and we're inspired. And then we get right back to the office and or the hospital, and we're 
inundated with uh, all the work we missed out on during those four days and real life catches up with us and it's really hard to do something with and the takeaways that we had and how do we get those things going and and I know a lot of us do a good job of executing on that but sometimes it's difficult and I think this was a case where you know Chip presented in such a way that that it certainly has stayed with me and, and something that I've been thinking about but you know culture was something he talked about and uh, you know one of his good points was that you know no matter where we work uh, whether it's a hospital or or uh, an office like Casting Hue, um, our attitude can affect the culture at our workplace, and we hear that all the time, right? That one bad apple can can affect the entire culture. I, you know, I, I loved Chip's example where he said having a bad attitude is like peeing your pants. Everyone can see it, but only you can feel it. Yeah, that's a that's a Chipism right there. There should be a book of Chipisms, and there might be. Yeah, I mean. It, he, he, he's a very dynamic speaker, professional speaker, of course, uh, and you know, he's got this kind of like Southern yep. um, sensibility, but of just a very vibrant, vibrant gentleman. And yeah, th- this aspect of how your attitude actually sets the tone for other people's attitude. I mean, I, I, it was just a really big theme of his, of his overall presentation that leadership starts with you, that you matter, yep. that your attitude matters, and that it's not hard to change your attitude and thus change the entire, the entire uh, 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 tenor of, of the organization just through the small things that you can do there. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and so that, that's one of the things that stuck with me. Absolutely. And, and then he spent uh, quite a bit of time about patient experience and just customer experience as a whole. And some of the things we've heard a little bit about before in terms of the emphasis that organizations like Zappos and Southwest put on experience. And he gave a couple of really great real life examples around that. Um, you know, and he brought up this quote by Scott McCain, and, and I don't know if I'm nailing this exactly, but the purpose of any business is to create experiences that are so compelling to customers that their loyalty is assured. And that's a, it's a good thing to remember because that's that's in any business, whether we're in healthcare or otherwise. <laughs> and, you know, again, giving, giving a fun um, topic or I'm sorry, a fun example that Chip gave, you know, he said, the only place I can go where I don't care how you treat me is Krispy Kreme. And then he waxed on about Krispy Kreme for a fo- solid seven minutes. The man loves Krispy Kreme. <laughs> but, uh, you know, he, he talked a lot about how important experiences are and he brought up something, a, a, another great example where uh, he, he talked about, he gives these talks about how important experiences are and he, he gave one to some, some care teams, some clinical teams and one of the nurses, you know, seemed frustrated with his talk and, and she said to him, what do you want me to do? Save your ass or kiss it? And he said both. That's why God gave us two cheeks. And you know, I thought that was another 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 point that that drove home. Um, I don't know if I'm saying that to anybody anytime, but it was certainly the way Chip said it. it <laughs> you could you could really uh, understand the importance and and hopefully let it work for you. Right. Absolutely. I think that the the subtext there is that I don't know why we feel like it's kind of like a zero sum or an either or right. sort of a thing. Why is it mutually exclusive? Right. Exactly. Um, deliver great care or treat you like uh, a human being. You know. Um, and again, it's, it's one of those things where acknowledging the stress of the work environment is super important here too. Um, you know, care teams, RNs, um, MDs, they've got a lot of, I mean, their days are hard. Yeah. They see a lot of hard stuff. They deal with a lot of 
people not in their in their in their best form, but at the same time, I think there's common ground, and and it it doesn't need to be a mutually exclusive either or sort of a situation. Yeah, absolutely. So it was a great talk. Uh, you know, I wouldn't be surprised. I haven't looked yet. I wouldn't be surprised if Chip has some of his talks up on YouTube, and if we find a good one that's relevant to what we heard, then we'll put that up in the show notes as well. Try to try to give everybody as much content as possible, especially for those who weren't at Shishma that that might want to. Uh, learn a little bit more about what we're talking about today. Um, but overall, Russ, I thought it was a great conference. It was my first Shishmet. I think it was yours as well. Yeah, and of all the conferences I've ever been to, I think that this is probably the the, the best from a content standpoint, from uh, an engagement, and from you know just the way that the, the organizers put it together. Really super. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, it, you know, on that topic, I, th- I thought... The, the event of the last night was great um, and, and it was unique because we were in Chicago and but they they had an event at Italy which if you're not familiar with Italy they have one in New York as well I believe but it's a E A T I L Y right yeah important to note that absolutely uh, that's a fun name and it's uh it's like an Italian market and the Shishman folks rented it out and you know we went there and they had uh, some wine for everybody which nobody gets mad at wine and several different food stations with more italian food than you knew what to do with it was fantastic and, and the reason i wanted to point that out because again you talked about how this conference was designed i thought this was one of the better networking events i've been to everybody let their guard down a little bit and i feel like sometimes some of these quote unquote networking events at conferences are a little too forced you know networking events in the exhibit hall. Those are great. Those are important to have, but it's very, it's very dry. It's very straightforward. It's, you know, let me give you my business card and blah, blah, blah. You know, that Italy event was great because uh, you went to different stations. Everybody was mingling. We met a ton of people there, made a lot of new friends. And uh, it was just a great way to kind of close out the conference on the, on the final night. Yeah. And uh, I think that there's another interesting thing that we can learn here from just the format of this restaurant. Like, because it is a restaurant, but it is a market. I mean, that's not necessarily a new concept. Just the mingling of different formats, the mingling of different types of venues um, has a lot of uh, interesting ramifications for experience design um, when you think about uh, your care environment. You know, we are talking about value-based care earlier. Um, there might be interesting ways that um, healthcare organizations can partner with other types of venues, other types of establishments, other types of companies, or even uh, nonprofits out in the community to have a more distributed uh, yet equally relevant presence. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a, it's a really good point. It goes back to the branding discussion we were having earlier. How do we execute on that brand, especially as we're evolving in this, in this value-based care era? Well, as you might imagine, we enjoyed Shishmet quite a bit, and we can't wait to get back next year for our second conference. Uh, if you went, we'd love to hear your thoughts on the conference or, or your thoughts on what we discussed today. So feel free to leave a comment on our podcast page uh, at castinhue.com or tweet us at castinhue. Uh, so Russ, thanks for co-hosting and co-discussing. And, and Drew, Drew Watkins produced and edited our podcast today. So thank you, Drew. Our next episode is going to be out Thursday, October 6th. And to keep up with the healthcare consumer, until then, subscribe to our fantastic Five on Friday newsletter at castandhue.com and follow us on Twitter at castandhue. Thanks for listening and have an enlightening day.